right, welcome uh, to Christ Community, um, whatever campus you happen to be at. We are glad you're here and uh, really um, welcome to you. Uh, let me highlight something mentioned in the video because it's kind of new. It's this whole idea of Discover Christ Community. It's a new um, a way we're encouraging uh, people who are new to the church, relatively new to the church, or maybe aren't necessarily feeling connected here. We want to encourage you to check out, to sign up for this class, Discover Christ Community. It's happening this coming Wednesday. It'll be a great opportunity for you to learn more about the church, to meet some people, to ask any questions you have, and to have some great dessert. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to meeting you, and I'm going to be there, Pastor Bruce as well. And uh, now, as was mentioned in the video, I want to be be clear here. If you want to become a member of Christ Community or a partner of Christ Community, this class is actually the first step in that. Um, we've adapted our partnership process. It used to be a seven-week period. We have now shortened that to two sessions, the first of which is the Discover Christ Community class. And so at that first class, then you'll hear about the next, there's one more session, you'll hear more details about that. So if you, whatever category, if you're new to Christ Community or you want to pursue partnership, please sign up online. Just uh, go to our website and there is a Get Connected um, section there. Click on that and it'll show you how to get to the Discover Christ Community and then do register online. <clears throat> okay, we're currently in a teaching series entitled Life Inspired. In this series, we're exploring how we can move beyond just going through the motions of life day-to-day, -day, you know, that kind of thing, and instead discover power and, and meaning and, and purpose, a life that energizes us and that elevates the people around us. So how do we do that? How do we live a life inspired? We've been talking about that um, over the past several weeks here, but one of the things that we as humans are most inspired by is story, right? Whether it's a story told in a book or a story told in a movie, or a video. Stories have the power to awaken something in us, to inspire us. Now, the, the, the value of an inspiring story is often temporary, right? I mean, once we leave the movie theater, oh, the impact kind of lessens. But there is, there is one story that can inspire us in a way that is not temporary. And that is the story that God is writing, the story of God's activity, God's purposes for humanity. I mean, like any good story, this one has conflict, right? It has darkness. It has good triumphing over evil in the end. It's a great story. And what makes it so inspiring and so powerful is that it's a story in which God invites all of us to be a part of. We are invited to be a part of this story. This is not a fantasy. This is not fiction. This is real. When we align our lives with God's story, we get to participate in this incredibly inspiring way of living. And so last week, we spent some time summarizing God's story as revealed in the Bible. This amazing story has four parts. <clears throat> First part, creation. We are created for a perfect relationship with God and with each other. Second part, the fall. Our relationship with God and with other people has been damaged by the virus of sin. There is nothing we can do to fix this. 
part three of God's story, redemption. Even though we couldn't, we couldn't restore what sin has broken, God provided a way through his son Jesus dying on a cross. When we place our trust in Jesus, we enter into this story, having our sins forgiven and entering into this loving relationship with God and eternal life with him forever. But the story doesn't end there. Even though a lot of Christians think it does, it doesn't end there. There is a part four of the story, restoration, restoration. You see, God wants to restore and heal the damage that sin has brought into people's lives. He wants more and more people to be a part of this story. And that's where you and I come in. God's plan for this world involves us sharing with others how they can become a part of God's story. I mean, how they can experience life and healing and freedom in Jesus. I mean, talk about inspiring to be able to offer that to other people. I mean, the stakes are high on this one. The stakes are high. If people never experience redemption in Christ, if all they experience of God's story is part one and two, creation and fall, they are separated from God permanently. They are lost without him. They are missing out on this amazing story God is writing. It is our responsibility to tell them, to share this good news with them. Actually, it's more than a responsibility. It's a loving response. It's a loving response. Even non-believers can understand this. You may be familiar with Penn Gillette, who is part of Penn and Teller, the, the magician duo. Penn is a very vocal atheist, um, very vocal atheist. On one of his video blogs, he tells about a man coming up to him after one of his shows. So check this out. <clears throat> and he walked over to me and he said... Um... I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show, and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and 
talked to me, and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And... Uh, that's really important. I mean, he gets it. He gets it. He, he totally gets the need to evangelize if we really believe this stuff is true. I mean, like he says, how much do you have to hate someone to believe in heaven and hell and yet to not tell them about how they can get to heaven? How much do you have to hate someone to let fear of social awkwardness keep us from sharing with them this good news? Now, that, that, that is so challenging and it is so true. Our love for people should move us to want to share with them this wonderful news. So how can we do this more effectively? How can we share our faith in a way that doesn't turn people off? See, I think that's what we're, uh, we're most often concerned about. We want to share the good news, and yet we're also very aware of how often this message gets communicated in unhelpful ways. You know, people shouting Bible verses on a street corner or holding up John 3.16 signs at Bronco games or whatever. You know, and I, I guess I admire these people's courage and zeal, but I question their methodology because it communicates a lack of genuine concern for people. So, so, so the message often gets lost in the, in the method. So how can we share the gospel in a life-giving, inspiring, and effective way? How can we lovingly invite people into this story that God is writing? Well, in order to answer that, I want us to look at John chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, your iPad or smartphone or whatever, you can turn there, where we see this fascinating conversation that occurs between Jesus and a very lost and broken woman. Now, before we jump into the actual conversation, there is a foundational principle that Jesus shares with his disciples in the midst of this encounter. And this one principle can radically impact our attitude and our approach to sharing our faith with others. So look with me at Jesus' words beginning in verse 34. 
My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now those who reap draw their wages. Even now they harvest the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps. It's true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. See, Jesus urges us to open our eyes and see the harvest that is all around us. See the people around us who are lost without him. And then Jesus uses this very powerful analogy to describe the process of how people become Christ followers. It's the analogy of sowing and reaping. See, the only reason that reaping can happen is because someone earlier has sown seed. If no one sows seed, there won't be a harvest. And Jesus says, this is how evangelism happens. So often, we think of evangelism only in terms of reaping. Share the gospel and ask them to respond. Did they make a decision? You know, that's the only way we define evangelism, right? But what we lose sight of, what we often lose sight of is the fact that becoming a Christian is often a journey for people. It's a journey for people. And there are critical moments along the way that gently move them towards a decision for Jesus. So Jesus urges us to not only be focused on reaping, i.e. on people making a decision for Christ, but he encourages us to also be focused on sowing seed in people's lives. See, by sowing seed, we can become a part of the story that God is writing in this person's faith journey. We we may not be the one that sees them cross the line of faith, but we had a significant role to play in their journey. For instance, imagine a person who grew up in a church a church-going family, okay? Grew up in a church-going family. Family prayed together every night, right? They, they carried their Bibles to church. Her father, let's say, just hypothetically, her father was an elder in the church, and he also sexually abused her. It is naive to think that all this young woman needs is to hear the gospel. She is probably very antagonistic toward anyone who is a Christian, Because of her own upbringing and what happened to her by someone who was supposedly a Christian. See, what she needs most is not someone to share the, you know, the gospel and ask for a decision. What she needs most is a trusting relationship with a Christian who doesn't treat her horribly. So let's say that happens. She has a Christian roommate who just loves on her without cramming the gospel down her throat. See, over time, she begins to warm to this idea that Christians aren't necessarily abusive. See, that's sowing seed. The line of faith is over here. She's gone from here to here, and that's a pretty significant move. But it it doesn't, you know, make the evangelism numbers, right? But it's a significant move in the journey of her crossing the line of faith. And this Christian roommate played a significant role there. See, that's evangelism. This is evangelism from here to here, even though it doesn't necessarily fit our our narrow definition. So so here's the really cool truth. Every one of us, 
every one of us can become a part of the faith story of the people around us. Every one of us can, whether we're an introvert, whether we're an extrovert, doesn't matter. All of us can make a difference in people's lives by sowing seeds of the gospel. Okay, so what are some practical ways that we can sow this seed? Well, we see several in John chapter 4 in this exchange between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. So let me begin in verse 3. So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So let's stop there for a little geography and sociology lesson. Jesus was in the southern part of Israel, Judea, and he decided to return to Galilee, which is in the north. Now the straightest way to go from Judea to Galilee would be to go right through Samaria. However, Jews in that day did not travel through Samaria. Why? Because they hated Samaritans. They despised Samaritans. In their mind, Samaritans were ethnic and religious half-breeds. And they didn't respect them. They, 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 were, just, they were dirt to them. They were, they were spiritual, spiritually unclean. So the Jews avoided any contact with Samaritans, which is why when a Jew traveled from Judea to Galilee, they always went around Samaria. Always went around. It was a much longer route but it enabled them to avoid any contact with Samaritans. You see, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. He chose to. He chose to. And in this, we see the first practical way to sow seed. Bridge the gap. Bridge the gap. So often, we as Christians are taught from an early age to avoid the world. Avoid the big bad world, right? Separate ourselves from people who are different than us, from people who have different lifestyles, different values, different morals, different sexual orientations, whatever. And that this separation lifestyle gets ingrained in us so easily. And what ends up happening is that we only hang out with people who are like us, i.e. Christians, other Christians, and we get insulated from relationships with people who don't know Jesus. I mean, this, this is the natural trajectory unless we intentionally do something to reverse this pattern, which is exactly what Jesus did. He intentionally reversed the pattern by choosing to go through Samaria, by choosing to place himself in an environment with people who lived and believed differently than him. So how about us? How intentional are we about being around people who believe differently than we do? Now, for some of us here, some of you here, this is not a problem. You work alongside many non-believers in an oil field or in a, 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 a school or something. You're, or you're on a sports team. You're on a choir with non-believers. You have many relationships there. That is awesome. But for others here, for many others here, if we're honest, we're not building relationships with lost people. We only place ourselves in context with other Christians so I'm just guessing, I'm guessing the question Jesus would ask us, if he were standing up here, I'm guessing the question he would ask us is, how can you make a difference in the lives of lost people if you aren't around any lost people? How can you make a difference in the lives of lost people if you have no relationships with lost people? 
I remember years ago, before pay at the pump, um, I went to a particular gas station here in town, and I got to know this Muslim man there, this gentleman from the Middle East, and I learned about his family, and, and, and when I would stop, I would hang out for a little bit, and his situation, I was eventually just hoping for the opportunity to have them over for dinner, he and his family, but unfortunately, they, they moved away, and I really didn't even know what happened. He just he was, was just gone before that ever happened, but, but here's, here's what's really sad. I never pay in person anymore. Right? I mean, I buy gas from the same place every time. I, I, I still go to the same gas station. Or not, not then I've changed, but I, for years I've gone to the same gas station. I never interact with a human being. I don't want to. Right? It's easier just to pay at the pump. No human interaction. It's easier. You see, I mean, this is just, this is a small example, but it's an example of how we have to be intentional about bridging the gap. We have to be intentional about moving towards people. Otherwise, we will just insulate ourselves. We'll just insulate ourselves. We'll drive home and click the garage door opener. The gig goes up. We drive in, close it. We don't even have to see our neighbors. We, we can just insulate ourselves. So, so the key question here is, where are you and I intentionally moving towards lost people? Where are we intentional about this? That this? Because if we're not intentional, it won't happen. It won't happen. A second practical way of sowing seed into people's lives, be interested. Notice, not be interesting. <laughs> be interested. The, the interaction between Jesus and this woman is fascinating at multiple levels. But one of the things that stands out to me in this story is how attentive Jesus is to her. How attentive he is to her. Let me read beginning in verse 6. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Parentheses. That's John's added comment there. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. How can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, the conversation goes on, and we'll, we'll pick out some, some things in just a couple minutes here. But n notice how attentive Jesus is to her, he, he, how interested he is in her situation, in her questions. He's, he had every right to ignore her. Not only was she a Samaritan, she was a woman. And for a Jewish man in that day, both of those were, were grounds to completely ignore her. But he didn't ignore her. He noticed her. See, this is a huge part of sowing seed in people's lives. It's slowing down long enough to notice people, to pay attention to them. Did you notice in the video earlier how many times um, Penn said, he looked me right in the eyes? Three times he said that in a three and a half minute video. That was important. Three times he said, hey, look me right in the eyes. He noticed me. 
One of the best books I've ever read on this is, is called God's Space by Doug Pollock. We, uh, we have it in our bookstore. Um, what I love about this book is that it is not a formula. It is about loving and noticing people and then letting the spirit open doors and create God's space. It's a fantastic book. He has an entire chapter on noticing. Entire chapter on noticing. The power of noticing people. And the heading of one section in that chapter is stop praying and start noticing. His point is that so often we may be praying, oh Lord, I pray for so-and-so to become a Christian, right? We may be praying to make an impact, but we don't ever slow down long enough to just notice the people who are around us. So he told a story about swimming at the YMC one day, and he was focused on doing his laps as he did regularly, but he couldn't help but notice this lifeguard, every time he was making that turn, this lifeguard had a really sad look on her face. And finally, after several laps, he just stopped. And he said, you know, it seems like you're, you're bummed out about something. What, is everything okay? And, and she acknowledged that she was having some personal struggles. And as he listened attentively, she opened up and began to share more transparently. That there is such power in just being interested in people. Well, one of the best ways to do this is by asking questions and listening to their answers. Not just acting interested, but genuinely caring for them. That's what Jesus did here. This whole conversation started with him asking her a question and then listening to her answer. You know, so often we think evangelism is all about sharing the gospel, whether the person is listening or not, right? Whether the person wants to hear it or not. Just get through the whole thing and get to the end. <laughs> just get the message out. Let me just ask all of us here. How attentive are you to someone, a salesperson or someone else? How attentive are you to someone who is only concerned about you hearing their perspective? We aren't. We hate being on the receiving end of that conversation. When we know the person is just, they have an agenda and they're just trying to cram it down our throat. We don't like that. All of us here, let's just admit it. All of us here stop listening to people when we feel like they have their own agenda and they don't care about us. We just stop listening. We may nod politely, but we stop listening. So why would we think anyone would want to hear what we have to say? When we aren't willing to listen to them, when we aren't willing to hear their perspective. Again, one of the best and least utilized evangelistic tools is asking questions and being a good listener. Rather than going into a conversation with the idea, okay, what do I need to say to this person to help get them on track where I want the conversation to go? Instead, we go in as an interested listener. So in the book, God's Space, Doug Pollack um, has some great open-ended questions. He has, I don't know, like 20, 25, maybe more than that. It's a very practical book. It's a very short read, easy read. I think, again, I, gave, I bought a copy for all my kids. I mean, I was like, you got to read this book. This is just a fantastic book. It's easy to read, but so practical. But he has these questions, just these open-ended questions that he likes to ask people. For instance, here's one. If God called you on your cell phone and gave you the opportunity to ask him one question, what would you ask or here's one, what would you like to say to Christians if you knew they would listen? So then you get into maybe the history, maybe some hurts they've had from other Christians. Or what kinds of experiences did you have with organized religion as you were growing up? 
See, the, the key is to ask good, open-ended questions, and then don't get defensive. Don't get defensive, but instead just listen. Reflect back what you're hearing them say. So I'm hearing you say this and this, this, rather than, well, blah, 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 you know, and you're getting defensive and answering, then they're just going to shut down again. What they want to know is that you understand them, that you're listening to them. You care enough to listen. It's amazing the doors that get opened when we take a genuine interest in people, in hearing their stories, in asking questions, and, 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 and listening to what they think. Jesus did that. And in the course of the conversation, he was able to point this woman to himself, offering her the living water that he alone can provide. I remember a, a while back, um, and typically in a church, we're not hanging around a lot of non-Christians here, right? Um, hopefully not, anyway. Um, but, um, and so we have to be intentional about it, and that's obviously a unique challenge with being in this kind of a job. But, but um, a while back, there was a, a janitor that worked here, and um, we often have, through a community organization here, have, have people working in our building that... Um, I, I, we don't, I didn't know anything about this person. I, I knew his first name, and I would say hi to him periodically. But it just, it began to, just this thought grew in my heart. It's like, he's, he's working here around a bunch of Christians. And I wonder if any of us have ever just stopped to find out more. And, and I'm sure others had. And, and, um, but it was just laying on my heart, I, I want to do this. And so I started praying for an opportunity. And if you've ever seen me walk, you know, I walk fast and I always have an agenda, you know, I'm always headed somewhere. And so, um, so it's not easy to find me just hanging out around here. And so this, this was intentionality, but one morning, um, uh, he, I, I happened to just not have a meeting cancel or something. And I was walking through the building and, and um, there he was. And, and so I just stopped and, and I, I said, Hey, um, and I did his name and, and uh, how's it going? And, and we just started to engage in this conversation and I started to hear his story, ask about his story. And he had some significant tragedy happen in his life. Just some, some really history there, even in 15, 20 minutes, just began to hear some of, of what his life had been like. And it was very, very difficult. And and at one point I um, said, hey, I'd love to, I'd love to pray sometime, just pray with you. And we set up a time to do that because then I did had to, had to have to get to another place. And so um, when I met with him again, then we, we started there and I began to pray for him. And in this, in this experience, I just felt like I, I think I need to ask him if he's a Christian, you know, if he knows the story that God is writing and, and what it means to have his sins forgiven. And so I, I did that and he said, no, I don't. And so I, I shared, um, basically just shared God's story, the gospel with him. And, and um, he, he prayed to receive Christ. It was a really, really cool um, experience. And it reminded me, it reminded me of, I could have easily, and I often do, just walk right past. He was doing his thing. I was doing my thing. But the power of just stopping and noticing people and hearing their story, it's amazing the doors that get opened when we do that. So in this encounter in John 4, Jesus takes genuine interest in this person. And at one point, and I don't necessarily recommend this um, unless, well, I'm not even going to go there. But he, through supernatural revelation, gently points out the, the sexually immoral life that she is now living. She is living with someone who is not her husband. And this relationship is number six, okay? Um, so she is clearly looking for love in all the wrong places, and then she meets Jesus, who notices her, and he cares for her, and he points her to himself. 
as the source of real life and living water, not where you're looking now, but the source of living water. And in that moment, she begins to taste of a life no longer ruled by shame and insecurity. And in response to this, she does something really, really powerful. Actually, two things. Look at verse 28 here, or at least I'll read it if you don't have your Bible there. But then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Do you see what she does? First, she invites people to explore Jesus. Come see this man, she says. And this is a third powerful way to sow seed. Invite people to explore who Jesus is. Invite people to explore who Jesus is. And I love this because so often we get sidetracked in conversations and rabbit trails about all these theological things and, and everything. And I understand that that can be helpful at times, but, but sometimes those kinds of conversations, what, the, the most helpful thing we could do is just keep pointing people to Jesus. Keep pointing people to Jesus. We don't need to argue about a chapter in the Old Testament and whether this number and that. I mean, just point them to Jesus. Because he's the one we want them to fall in love with. Um, and, and so what she does, she points people to Jesus. And this is so simple and so powerful. It's the power of invitation. Any of us can do this. Any of us can do this. We can invite a coworker or a neighbor to come to church with us, for instance. We can do that. Statistics reveal that most people will say yes to go to church if, if they're invited. Another thing to invite people to is our Alpha course, which is a course offered around the world for people exploring Christianity. And what I love about this course, lots of things I love about this course, but it's a course that is specifically designed to create a safe environment for seekers to explore Christianity without getting anything shoved down their throat. They can ask any question. They're not going to get their head bit off for that. It's a safe environment. We've done Alpha for about 15 years, and we have, we have seen dozens, probably more like hundreds of people come to Christ. We've had like 1,500 people go through the course, and I'm sure hundreds of people have come to Christ. In fact, we just finished our fall Alpha, and here um, I got an email, just some testimonies of people, anonymous testimonies from people there, but one person described their experience this fall. I came to Alpha to learn about faith and Jesus' message. I'm still learning, but I accepted Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit in my life. It's just a cool thing. Um, and here's the deal. Most people who come to Alpha do so because they're invited by someone they know. It's kind of intimidating to go to something like that on your own, but, but not if you have someone you know going with you. All of us can invite a friend to come to Alpha. And we just sit there with them and all, you know, it's a great course. So we all would benefit from it. But who knows what God might want to do as a result of just that one invitation. Never underestimate the power of invitation. By the way, our next Alpha course starts um, at the first of the year in, in middle of January. So you can continue to check out our website and information about that. There's one other thing this woman does in this story. Um, and again, it's something any of us can do. It's the fourth practical way we can sow seeds of the gospel in people's lives. Share your story. Share your story. This woman did not have a degree in theology. She doesn't understand the implications of all the implications of who Jesus is. She hasn't been trained in sharing her faith. But the one thing she does know 
is how Jesus impacted her life. And that's the story she tells. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? This is so cool. Here's a woman with a sexually immoral reputation, probably ostracized in her community, which may be why she went to the, get water at noon when none other women would be going to get water at this well in the middle of the day. Who knows? But she was probably ostracized by the community. And yet she goes back to the community and she begins to tell her story of encountering Jesus. And look at the impact. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. <laughs> Never underestimate the power of your story with Jesus. What was your life like before you met Jesus? And how has he impacted your life since then? It doesn't have to be this dramatic conversion of a life out of drugs and all that. If so, great. It doesn't have to be that. It can be your conversion out of a life of insecurity into a life of being loved. Or your conversion from a life of religion and rules to a relationship with Jesus. Those are conversions. They're powerful. What is your story with Jesus? As we talked about earlier, there is power in story. Stories inspire us. So don't be afraid to share your own story. I mean, think about this. No one can argue with your story. <laughs> no one can argue. They can argue with other things, but they can't argue with your story because it happened to you. What are they going to say? Oh, no, that didn't happen to you. Hey, I lived it. This is my story. This is what happened to me. No one can argue that. You lived it. So here's an assignment. I encourage you. I think all of us ought to do this. Write out your story with Jesus in 100 to 150 words. So that'd be like a two to three minute thing. Now, we're not talking 25 minutes. People are, you know, I'm not talking about telling your story that way. You got to be sensitive to who you're talking about, to who you're talking to. But we're talking about a two to three minute. Here's what Jesus did in my life. So write that out. Get comfortable with it and then share it with a friend or maybe just read it to a friend, but practice it or share it with your family. This would be a great dinner table exercise this week for families here. Have everyone go around and share their story. It would be a great small group exercise. So if you're in an e-group during this, doing the sermon questions, we're, we have a question we put in here. So at the, near the end, where you, we encourage you to do this as one of your activities. Again, don't let someone go 30, 35 minutes. This is two to three minutes. Your story with Jesus. Every one of us here can be a part of helping other people find their way into God's story. It, in fact, it is our loving responsibility to do so, to build bridges, to be interested, to invite people to explore Jesus, and to share our own story with, with them. Who knows what significant role you will play in the lives of people around you as you sow these seeds of the gospel? As all of us sow these seeds of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us that evangelism 
doesn't have to be this scary thing that we avoid. Um, that we, all of us here, we can sow seed. We can look every day, we can walk through the day looking and asking you, Lord, where do you want me to sow seed? And so I'm going to pray for us. I want to pray for us, first of all, that we would be intentional. There are some of us here, and we have surrounded ourselves with only Christian friends, only Christian people, and doing Christian things. And Lord, I just pray you would help us be intentional about getting out of that whatever, that Christian subculture and build relationships, whatever that looks like, being intentional at work or joining a sports team at rec league or a choir, who who knows, a book club, but not just with other Christians. We would be intentional about looking for ways to build relationships with people, to bridge the gap. So help us have the courage to do that. And I also pray, Lord, you would help us be interested. You would help us see people. Slow to slow down long enough to notice people. And help us be willing to stop and even just ask, how you doing? How are you? Looks like you're carrying a heavy burden today. What's going on? You're just stopping and asking questions. And then, God, would you help us be good listeners? To not be defensive and always trying to get our point across. Would you help us learn to listen well and to help people feel cared for and understood? And we pray for doors to open because of that. Where we can point people to Jesus. I pray, Lord, also we would, be, we would understand the power of invitation. Maybe it's to a Christmas Eve service. Maybe it's to a, an e-group that we're a part of. Maybe it's just the power to Alpha, the power of just inviting people. And then, God, would you give us opportunities to share our story? I pray, first of all, we would think about this And we would be able to get it into a two or three minute kind of a, be able to do that in an elevator kind of a thing. Uh, Just to share the story in a simple way. We can elaborate if someone wants to, but help us get to that and that we would practice that. And then we would have opportunities to share this. The story of what you have done in our lives. We're so grateful. Would you, Lord, forgive us when we lose sight of this grand story that you are writing. And we just become insulated and we, we, we don't really care, honestly, about lost people around us. And so I pray for the conviction, even in that video we saw, this conviction that our love for people would move us to share, would move us to sow seed. So forgive us for our inactivity, for our insulated lives. Give us your heart to see the harvest and to be sowers of seed. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you would empower us to do that. You would empower us to do that, Lord. Thank thank you for the impact of that, Lord. As all the people in this church body, as we begin being more intentional about that, imagine, Lord, the impact. We pray for impact for your kingdom for people to come to know you as a result. 
So fill us, Holy Spirit. Thanks for this privilege. Thank you for the story that you're writing, Jesus. We love you. Thank you for impacting our lives. And we want to we celebrate that now um, by worshiping you. So let, let's stand, whatever campus you're at. Why don't we stand? You can sit down at, at any point if you want, but let's begin standing. And let's just celebrate this amazing Savior and the story that we're a part of because of him. So set us free to do that now, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.